This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have back Lexi Ciro, Director, Corporate Marketing and Insights at Data AI. Lexi, welcome back to the Business of Us podcast. Thank you so much for having me again. I am very happy to be here. Awesome. It is so great to have you on. Uh, it's always a pleasure when you come on the show. All right. Where should I start? I think I'm going to start here. How was your shopping this year? How long is your Amazon 2023 orders list by now? Is it 20 items, 30, 100, 200 or more? <laughs> of course, it was not only you and it was not only about Amazon, even though you may justifiably have an impression that it's always about Amazon. Well, the whole planet went shopping every second on multiple retail apps. To comprehend that scale, We've invited Lexi to talk about uh, the latest report from Data AI, Strategies to Master Retail on Mobile. Um, Lexi, over the years, you've been on the show multiple times, but for the sake of folks who did not listen to those episodes and listening to you right now for the first time, please talk about yourself and your background. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so I lead corporate marketing and insights at Data AI. Um, I have been analyzing data and the mobile app economy um, and producing insights for over eight years now, um, and I have been in research and analysis for a very long time. Um, so love the space and really love being able to tell kind of the stories that the data is sort of presenting to us. Great. Uh, data AI, or as people may still remember you as AppAny, um, has been one of the analytical pillars of the app industry. Uh, please give me a quick sketch of what is data AI today and where are you guys on this generative AI adoption curve? Absolutely, yes. So data AI is formerly known as App Annie for those of you who are our friends from early on in the industry. And we help mobile app publishers succeed on mobile, kind of across that whole life cycle through data and competitive analysis. Um, we help businesses from acquisition to engagement to monetization and help craft better strategies. So we changed our name a few years back to better reflect how we generate our estimates. So we actually leverage something called applied artificial intelligence or applied AI, which is a bit different to generative AI. We're not necessarily producing content, for instance, uh, but this is how we create we use data science and some very sophisticated algorithms to create our mobile app estimates. And we're very proud of this, uh, hence why we changed our name, um, because of this data science initiative um, and that kind of first and for, foremost approach to having um, both compliant and accurate uh, estimates. And so we are very happy to be a part of that AI um, fervor that is kind of the world in a sense. Yeah, it was a really good strategic change of, for, for the brand because uh, it's been growing ever since and we're not expecting to AI to be smaller as time goes by. And um, yeah, people may, uh, may think about generative AI only right now. 
justifiably, you know, ChatGPT has been grabbing headlines for more than a year now. But AI started this not on the generative part, but in the analytical part. part. Uh, we all remember like the first iterations of AI was when we could uh, finally recognize uh, the software could recognize people on the pictures, animals, etc., and uh, recognition now well uh, in many areas. Um, so, an analytical uh, capabilities of companies such as Data AI has been built, like Alexei just told us, uh, on AI algorithms. Now, um, for this episode, we have the report strategies to master retail and mobile, uh, as I said. So, let's give our listeners kind of a bird view for the report, how many apps were involved in putting it together and what it covers and so on. Absolutely. Um, it is a great report. Um, some of my colleagues helped produce it. So it's, it's full of insights as well as kind of tactical tips. So there's a bit of both in here. I think it's, it's a great combination. Um, we looked at um, thousands of apps. We pulled data across uh, over 175 markets um, to kind of generate this view. In the report, there's about, I think, about 17 different markets we focus on, but the global view is pulling across many, many worldwide. Um, and I think it's a great report because it it really is a time in the retail space where we're seeing more competition heating up, especially this year globally with the launch of Kimu. Um, so we wanted to offer more of a practical guide in this kind of climate. So mobile is, you know, is underpinning the entire consumer experience of shopping from research to point of purchase, the point of sale, the loyalty and redemption. So it's a very dynamic space. Um, and it is a, it's an important time now for uh, retailers to really focus on mobile because you have these really strong mobile first players coming in with very sophisticated strategies. So uh, we're starting to see that shake out in the space a lot where um, Timu is at the heels of some of these big institutional retail players in the US. Right. Uh... Now we're talking about the third page uh, report. Uh, so this is the thirty-minute uh, episode. Uh, we're not be we're not capable to cover the entire report to squeeze into into this short period of time. So we're going to be highlighting five things from the report, starting with this one, uh, which is performance score benchmark. So what is it? What role does it play for a shopping apps landscape analysis? Yes, the mobile performance score, or we call it MPS, is our proprietary metric. It's a uh, kind of composite health score of your app. So basically, it gives you this sort of compass to see how you're performing and what sectors you might need to improve. So it's acquisition, engagement, um, sentiment, and monetization of your app. And so you can dive deeper into each of these buckets and see where you might need to focus more on your strategy. Um, and the beauty of this metric is it is also driven by applied AI. Um, and it is a great sort of almost like a credit score for an app. So one of the key things that we see is that the apps with the highest MPS score make up the bulk of downloads. So it's on a scale to 100. And those apps that have a score from 80 to 100 um, will make up almost nine of every 10 downloads by the year 2025. So the bulk of the, you know, what people are downloading on their phones and using will come from these high performing apps. Um, where we are now, actually in 2021 was about 85% um, will 
uh, of downloads are driven by those with an, a score of 80 or above. And then when you look at the very top echelon, so the 90 plus range, we actually see um, almost half of downloads there are made up by those who have a 90 plus score. And then by 2025, it'll be up to six of every 10. So it's a great metric to help you track um, your, and improve your app performance. And it's done at the subgenre level, so you can pay, compare to your peers, but it also gives you a very nice way of comparing across industries. So if you wanna see, uh, for instance, some of these really good techniques that are coming from other sectors, um, so maybe some more mobile first sectors that are in the social space and have very good um, you know, virality techniques, for instance, this metric gives you a really great way uh, because it's on the same scale that you can look at, oh, okay, um, this mm -hmm. app is a great one to kind of look at how they're driving these techniques. Um, so MPS is a really fun metric and it's, it's a very good one to help kind of hone where to look and how to um, prioritize some features. Love the concept. It's uh, It includes a bunch of different uh, data points into a single benchmark and gives you a kind of a thumbs up and thumbs down. Where are you on the scale of uh, your peers on the landscape of companies you're competing with? Um, it's complicated. You do want to get into the nitty gritty of analytics, but sometimes you need to see like the, what's your credit score? Like you've said, it's a really good analogy. Now, uh, by now, it's been well established that uh, number one, people spend the bulk of their time mobile apps when they hold the smartphone, not on the mobile web in the browser. And the second thing is that for a number of years, people do their shopping on mobile. A bunch of things help to, to this trend to establish uh, robustness of payment processing, the screen size, uh, the uh, how long the battery holds, the e-commerce app sophistication. So all of these things convince people that they can do shopping on their mobile phone. So looking at the report data, uh, how much time do people actually spend in shopping apps right now? Yeah, um, we are actually seeing, uh, well, globally, it's a lot. <laughs> this is one of those of things where I'm going to throw some numbers at you and it's going to feel kind of abstract and huge. Uh, <laughs> but in 2023, we're actually on track to hit 50 billion hours spent in shopping apps on Android phones alone. And that is just hard to conceptualize. That is a lot of time. Uh, but this is up 42% from 2020. And that was that year during COVID, we really saw kind of the step function change in the uptake of shopping apps. So it's already off of that elevated base we started to really see in 2020. Um, so it's a lot of time and, and time spent is a great metric to look at because uh, time spent along with sessions um, and then that kind of session duration, uh, that's sort of like your digital foot traffic. So it helps to indicate um, how much uh, transactions basically might be happening. Um, it correlates very highly with, with baskets uh, and conversions and also gives you an indication of uh, that engagement that comes from the whole life cycle. So part of the beauty of mobile apps is that they're always there and you can kind of be researching on the go, but also that kind of end-to-end -end experience of tracking your package or um, redeeming your loyalty points or sharing codes with friends so that they can be referred in. Um, so time spent is a really great metric because it, it does correlate very highly with transactions, but the value from mobile, we see, yes, there is that core revenue piece, but there's also this really beautiful customer relationship piece that um, 
people are spending significant time in. Well, that's a great picture you just painted, Lexia. And just uh, I'm going to put one small thing on top of this, which is looking at the wish list uh, on your account and uh, thinking, should I buy this stuff or not? This month, next month, or it's too much, or <laughs> I can't afford it for myself. Um, all right, moving on. The next thing I'd like to cover is the number of uh, downloads shopping apps generated this year. And how does this number look in perspective? Yeah, this is um, this is an exciting one. So we're on track for the full year to see about 6 billion new downloads of shopping apps. So this does not include any app you've downloaded in the past that maybe you uninstalled or reinstalling. It's the complete first time you've installed is what we're measuring. Um, it also doesn't include like app updates or anything of that nature. Um, so it's really a pretty impressive figure. Um, in the first half of the year, we saw about 3 billion. Um, so we're on track to hit around six this year. And that's up about 5% year on year. Uh, we tend to see, especially with big retailers, because there is a bit more um, on the back end, right? Like you have logistics and operations and things of that nature, maybe a brick and mortar store, um, mm -hmm. that we do see, you know, people get a bit more ingrained in habits in the big trend, in the Sort of big retailers that they they have close to their house or that are available in their country. Um, so seeing that many new downloads is really impressive because we do see a lot of e-commerce players that are coming in. Now, across the spectrum, um, we use FIQ taxonomy, which is our advanced kind of classification system. And we see that over half of all of these downloads are coming from e-commerce players like Amazon, for instance. Um, and if you include retailers, which is more of a direct one brand like Sheen or Timu, um, that's actually, that percentage jumps to about 73% of all downloads coming from those types of apps. We do see, you know, supermarkets and shopping centers and, and malls and buy now, pay later showing up, but the bulk of downloads are happening in that space. Um, we do see in terms of growth, um, supermarkets is actually a big area of growth globally around 3x the growth rate from um, five years prior. Um, buy now, pay later has grown significantly over the last five years, but there is there is some softening happening in the recent months and years there. Um, and then this also kind of varies by country. But for instance, in the UK, we saw like pharmacy apps um, had grown nearly 4x and were very, a small segment, but growing quite fast. Um, and then we also see things like coupons and rewards in the shopping space being a big one, especially last year and this year as, as consumers were really hit with um, a bit of inflation pressure on their wallets, we yeah. did start to see, you know, discount retailers and then things like coupons and rewards, even alternative financing as well. So, uh, you know, things like buy now, pay later, um, kind of popping up because people are a little bit concerned about price point and, and sort of being able to um, afford everything that they wanted to afford um, in holiday season and throughout the year. Yeah, but still on the background of this, um, inflation trend we see for the last couple of years people continue to download apps and the number of downloads continue to grow i vaguely remember the moment a few years ago when people were talking about the stagnation of the app industry the moment where we kind of uh believed that it was a plateau the number of downloads were not growing like it's pretty stable um it doesn't look like that picture anymore even not even close and Let's switch the gear at this point and go to the top 10 shopping apps. 
uh, we all we all love top tens, right? Movies, songs. So, what are these? What features do they have in common? And what sets the leading apps like these apart from the rest? Well, besides making the money, of course. <laughs> Uh, that is a great question. So some of looking, this is looking at H1, so the first half of this year, um, some of the top players, um, and some of these apps are unique to say India, where there's a large base, so they do show up for the top players and downloads on the global scale. But we have Sheen, Amazon, Shopee, Timu, Misho, which again, that's one that's more unique to India, Alibaba.com, Lazada, AliExpress, um, Shopsy, Flipkart. So a lot of big names. Um, and we do see some really interesting things pan out for what types of features they're using. Um, in terms of table stakes, as in the things that all of these players do, first and foremost is third-party payment options. So obviously they need to provide a way that is frictionless and convenient and what the user would want to do um, for third-party payment. Um, so some things, for instance, we see this on mobile web as well, is the inclusion of Google Pay or Apple Pay to make it even simpler from like your wallet app on your phone, um, but also paying how you want to pay. So we do see a lot of options still. There's Amazon Pay, which can be popular in the US um, and other ways of payment. So that's big, right? Getting to that point of having a very simple frictionless experience and secure. I think that's a really great thing mobile does well is you have um, that enhanced kind of security if you use some of those native features for, for finance. Um, that's one. Two other features, there's about three actually that are also pretty much all of these apps in the top 10 use, um, curated shopping content. So that is the algorithm that are at play, the AI that these companies have that help tailor things to you. So when you open your phone and when you open your app, it feels like a store for you, not just a general store. And that is one of the most um, important parts of a mobile strategy, I would say, is that this is, you know, your phone is your most kind of personal device. You've got your banking apps. You might do your taxes on it. You have your photos of your kids. It's the device you called people during COVID lockdowns that connected you with family. Um, it's got your email, your calendar, like where you're supposed to be at what time. Um, so it is a very personal device. And what's the beauty of a mobile app is that when you open it and if there's that curated shopping view, it feels like you walk into a store that's designed for you. Um, and that's part of the beauty is that it, mobile apps can really remove that friction and better than mobile web, right? Because you're in theory, you're logged in um, into your mobile app. That would be the goal so that you can have a really, really personalized experience. Um, and that's complementary to in-store as well. So it can really help bridge that gap, especially um, that can help you find things in store if you're in a big super center, for instance. Um, so that's another big table stakes, I'd say. Uh, the two others are hourly and daily deals. And I really love this one because there's a little bit of gamification in this. And we do see these big players leveraging those kind of the deals to keep you coming back. Uh, maybe you spin a wheel to access a different code or to get a new deal. Um, so that's that kind of gamification that's done exceedingly well in the gaming vertical that we see play out. And in some other verticals, like, you know, some we've seen those techniques. Um, in Robinhood, the stock trading app in the US where there's a bit of getting a free stock and then confetti and things of that nature where it's that little bit of gamification that delights the user. And lastly, there's member rewards. So we know apps are super important for loyalty and for lifetime value of a customer. Um, so there's features that help that, right? There's apps, um, you know, trackers to show you're achieving your next goal um, to get 
unlock a coupon or a discount or some kind of cash in app. Um, and so those member rewards are really important to keep people coming back and keep them loyal. Um, so those are the big ones. I think we also see outside of the top 10 that across those four I just spoke about, we see that actually of the top 30 apps, it's sitting between 75 and 83% of the top 30 are including that. So those are those are pretty table stakes. I'd say some other features that we see that are showing up a lot by now pay later. So again, offering the alternative financing option. So financing and how you pay for things is a very important part of that friction. You get to the checkout and then you bail <laughs> and leave that cart for next month. Right. Um, there's also, I think the other possibly underutilized feature is exclusive app deals. We actually only saw four of these retailers do that. And I think that's a little bit of a miss. Um, Sephora has done a great job of that over the years of having exclusive, particularly during Black Friday and Cyber Monday, exclusive app deals that you can only get by using their mobile app. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful one that we could see really shape more daily engagement and also just drive more value. Um, Marks and Spencer's in the US, uh, excuse me, in the UK did this really nicely where they had a 12 days of Christmas campaign where each day they'd have some kind of daily deal um, that people would unlock. So these are great features. And I think there's one more um, to kind of mention, and I want to mention it because of Sheen. Um, only four of these players actually have this feature, but there's that save for later. As you mentioned, we tend to see people use their uh, their cart <laughs> as like mm -hmm. a wish list almost. You just add to cart and you just save this massive list and eventually you go through and kind of curate. Um, Sheen did something really interesting. Sheen is obviously, is, it's fast fashion and it's targeting, tends to be um, more Gen Z millennial women. Um, and they make their app very Instagrammable in its presence. It kind of looks like a social app more than a shopping app at times. Even the images of, of clothes. Uh, look like an influencer is curating it, not a corporation that's taking it in a room with models, you know, informal, <laughs> mm -hmm. laying it out. There's this authenticity layer. And as part of that, um, there's a heart function. So it's it's a subtlety, it's a subtle difference. But instead of like add to cart or like save to wish list, you just heart it like you would on Instagram. And it's yeah. saved that way, which I think is a really subtle, um, but powerful UX kind of change that targets their core market. Um, and they've done exceedingly well with, with engaging consumers. So I think that's, that's a really interesting one that I would say could help people think a little bit outside the box about mobile, mobile first kind of habits from other apps that you could bring in and make it more of a kind of, kind of growth hack in a sense, maybe, yeah. <laughs> or growth engage <laughs> the consumer experience there. Exactly. Uh, devils in details. These small things matter. Uh, even that's just a small thing is the way you put some item to your uh, to your wish list. In this case, it's uh, heart. It's it automatically brings up your emotions associated with the Instagram and apps like this. And your perception all of a sudden becomes you're not in the real shopping apps for big brands closer to you is closer to people who you trust, which we just mentioned are influencers on social, social media. And it really resonates with me, this concept that to me, shopping list, uh, even on Amazon looks to me like a part of my apartment. It's not physical, it's virtual, but it feels to me like it's just a, you know, just a space in my apartment, but it's in my phone. 
And th think about it. How many times you can go to a real physical store to check something out? When it's closed, when you're far away from the place, you don't get a chance to, to do that. In the app, you can just pull up your uh, iPhone, open the app, and you're there. So it's it's uh, it's a psychology. It's really powerful thing to you know, leverage for e-commerce apps. Uh, let's talk about newcomers on the list. And are there any surprises for you? This is a great one. I think um, maybe not a surprise now since they have gained a lot of steam and we all probably see them everywhere. But Timu is the biggest newcomer across kind of the top 10 list globally and in the key markets that they've launched. Um, so Timu is a mobile first. And when we say mobile first, you know, we mean its strategy focuses on the app as the first sort of port of call. And then the website supports the app kind of a situation versus say, you know, we've got what we would call bricks and clicks, like a, a Walmart where you had a store that made an e-commerce presence that then made an app. And then you've got Amazon, for instance, that was an e-commerce presence that made an app. But when we have these mobile first players, the focus is that mobile is the driving factor. And you see that kind of strategy shift kind of trickle down from all parts of the business, I'd say. Um, and you see the how important mobile is and how much they double down on it. So this one's really interesting because actually as of October, Timu has more weekly active users than the Walmart app in America. And that really surprised me <laughs> uh, because Walmart, I mean, it is you are doing shopping in person, okay. but there's that um, grocery element, which can be very habitual and can get people coming back because um, a lot of Walmarts have groceries as a core part of what they offer. Uh, so Timu, now we need to see how this plays out a bit because they're in heavy user acquisition stage. So you're getting lots of new users into the app and how they keep them over time is yet mm -hmm. to be seen. Um, but even still, that is super impressive to me that they can kind of create that type of tidal wave traction in a market like the US, which has historically not responded to overseas apps as not, not necessarily favorably, but they haven't responded to them with such a overwhelming people moving into these apps. Now, we've seen apps like AliExpress try to crack into the US and be a competitor to Amazon. And it just did not, you know, it might sit in the top 10 a little bit, but it did not occupy the number one spot for months and months and months in the way that Timu has. Um, they are very aggressive with their user acquisition strategy. They pay, spend a lot of money and have some very sophisticated techniques. They did do a Super Bowl ad last year, which is famously expensive. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're competing by price, right? Price point is by and large that big element they're at play, trying to show um, you know, goods that you can get for much cheaper. But they're also huge on gamification. There's lots of opportunities to play little mini games in the app, to have countdowns that encourage you to kind of access the next lever, to send uh, referrals to friends and get new coupons. Um, and by and large, it's a mobile first experience. So they've made it so easy and fun to be in the app that I think that is a huge selling point. But again, the price point is a huge port of call for them. Um, globally, outside the US, Timu is number one in the UK, in Australia, in New Zealand. Um, it's gaining traction in South Korea and Japan where they've launched more recently in the last couple of months and really ranking in the top ranks amongst other key players. Um, in Southeast Asia, we're seeing traction in the Philippines and Malaysia, where they've recently launched. Uh, but they're not 
as much traction there as we would have as as we've seen in other markets, which could be due to um the presence of apps like Lazada and Shopee, which are very similar in construction in a sense, like very mobile mm -hmm. first and have been there for years and have a lot of existing um goodwill in a sense and and users. And the other thing that's particularly interesting about Lazada and Shopee, um, especially in Southeast Asia, is they have their own financing options that run the gamut from like Shopee Pay or Lazada Pay to um, buy now, pay later systems to micro loans and things that are coming strictly through Shopee and Lazada. So having that in-house financing option can potentially be that point of um, kind of inertia to move to a different brand. You know, you've you use, you've got your kind of financing through Lazada and that's within the Lazada app. So that might be enough to keep a lot of users there versus moving over to a competitor that's new and does not have the same financing options available. That's a really interesting picture, Lexi. Uh, uh, what are, what parting thoughts do you have about the report? What kind of takeaways you would like to have our uh, listeners after this episode? Yes. There's a lot of tips. So as I mentioned, this report has market insights, which is mostly what I've talked about. And then there's these sort of tactical, more practical hands-on things you can do. And my top five would be um, leverage your paid and organic user acquisition. So don't forget about organic. It can be very powerful. Um, things like in-app events, which are new kind of features you can use to the app stores, um, as well as your keyword strategy. Um, so number two is actually more about your keyword strategy and how that plays out, especially with paid search ads too. That's a really interesting space where you can bid on branded terms um, and kind of capitalize on that high intent traffic. Number three, gamification. Shopping is, it can be exceedingly fun and I think you can make it even more fun by adding in gamified techniques, uh, rewarding users, adding little mini games or giving them a you know some kind of game of chance to get a new code. Um, number four would be to monitor your ad creatives. That's a really great way of seeing how people are of your competitors, how they're responding to different ad formats, but also um, value propositions in the in, in the creatives and also the types of creatives. Um, we've seen some really great TikTok ads performing exceedingly well that are more almost lo-fi, that don't look big budget, that look like kind of funny memes, and they can work very well. So ad creatives would be the next one. And number five would be to look at partnerships. Um, so we have a, a metric called cross-app usage and cross-app affinity where you can see how many users are using other types of apps or how likely they are. Um, so maybe they only 1% only use that app, but they're exceedingly likely to have a similar base. And that shows you where some other potentially apps that you would not have thought of could be ripe for partnerships. You could access a bigger size of that pool who is, um, you know, has a high affinity for what you guys are offering in your app. So I think those would be my five to kind of consider um, especially, I mean, you know, the holidays are among uh, kind of right in front of us actually right now, but going forward into 2024, um, really important strategies to kind of make your mobile strategy thing and stand out in front of the other big players. Right. This is great. Okay. To land this plan, the final question before I let you go, uh, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Of course. Um, so you can follow data.ai on all the socials, LinkedIn, um, X or Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We've 
recently launching TikTok, so more data coming to you soon. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Lexi Cito. Uh, that's probably where I'm most active and I'm very happy to connect and answer questions. And then last but not least, you can follow along all the great insights that our team is producing on our blog at data.ai slash insights. We publish every week lots of new blog posts and reports. Lexi, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. It was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And, and that was Lexi Cito, Director of Corporate Marketing and Insights at Data AI. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.